1: Welcome to late lunch on the last day of summer, Louise. The very last day of summer twenty twenty
2: three. We're celebrating it.
1: Yes, I hate to be loud uh, in style. <laughs> I hate to be the purveyor of uh, bad news, but today enjoy the sunshine, it's breaking out everywhere because after today Ahem,
2: can't mention that four that word.
1: It's back to the other thing. Mm. Um, it's
2: not snow, it's the other one.
1: N I A R. (laughs) Yes, it's that thing. N A I R is coming back again from tomorrow, and unfortunately, I've just been watching it here as I do every day before the show. It's going to be with us for a while. It looks like, isn't it just depressing? It really is to think that we're going back to that nonsense again. Mm -hmm. And you know, the sun yesterday. We were in Clarehead, of course, uh, with the show on Tuesday, and it's been lovely. Wednesday, the heat yesterday, sun breaking out everywhere today. But anyway, I think that's it for summer twenty twenty three. Hmm, it's uh, well, tease is right, she'll be back at school before we know it. Anyway, the sun we did on the remember the day it was absolutely raining cats and dogs, we did the uh, the rain song thing, you know, that thing. Um, today it's all about sun, songs are all about sun and late lunch today. So, we're going to brighten up your day on this last day of summer with sun songs.
2: Get everyone to do a sun dance and maybe the sun will
1: turn up. this around for us, yeah, 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 like you did last time, folks. We're looking for songs with sun or sunshine in the name of the song any of them come to mind would you like us to play one for you today let us know 86 658 by WhatsApp or text and if Ender Caldwell's out there give us a shout Enda with a sun song will you we'd love to hear from you Enda especially you Ender Caldwell uh, send us in the name of a sun song you know one you'd have to know one Ender, wouldn't you anyway talking about the sun if you can't get the sun at home we have the woman who'll get you the sun abroad Sandra Finnegan from Globe Travel is on the line hi Sandra
2: Hi, Jerry.
1: How are you? I'm really good, Sandra. Well, I, I am the prepare of bad news on the weather front, yeah, but I know you
2: started great <laughs> on the last day
1: of summer. My God! <laughs> Please, God, not let there be. Let there be a golden end to this summertime. Anyway, Sandra, thank you for joining us on the show. Look, you're with us today. We haven't been talking to you for a while, and there's been a lot going on across Europe. If you take uh, heat, extreme heat, fires, uh, storms, you name it. Sandra, has it been a difficult year for you?
2: Yeah, with no disrespect, Jerry, the media has probably not helped it. And like everywhere else, every summer in Europe is hot. Okay, with the exceptions of um, Greece, which got the fires, roads. But like, as I said to you the other day, it's only certain areas. It was the south of the island that got affected. But every year, roads get affected by fires in the summer. This year, there was uh, southerly winds, which spread. But we had quite a few clients in the island at the time and we called them all and most of them were oblivious to what was going on because they were in the north of the island, areas that we normally recommend. So everyone was safe, everyone was well. Um, I spoke to one of the guys out at Tui who sent repatriation flights out to Rhodes uh, to take people home and people didn't want to return home when they were in the north of the island because they weren't affected at all.
1: Mm. So you're saying that, and, and I know the way, I do know I'm in the business. The way it can work at times, a, a picture and words in a particular area can really set the Absolutely. alarm bells ringing. Look, and
2: that doesn't take away from temperatures no. having having risen. They certainly have. Mm. I was in Portugal myself at the weekend, and on Thursday evening, I nearly needed a jacket in Portugal. It got cool in the evening. It was the first time I ever experienced it in August. Mm. Now by. Um, by Monday, when I was leaving, I could feel the temperature is certainly increasing. Yes, and I spoke to my daughter this morning, and she said, "Ma'am, it was a bit warm just to go to the beach yet. We're going to leave it until the late afternoon." Right. And um, so I think this week again, temperatures seem to be rising again in Europe. Um, Northern Europe, you know, they're getting a lot of rain. Scandinavian countries are washed out of it. Um, so the global warming is certainly having effect. We are finding that families are now either looking to go early summer, Mm. uh, planning for next year. So they're looking at, you know, maybe if kids finish secondary school, going early June or going sort of maybe midterm break, like October, November again, to avoid the peaky uh, destinations or diversifying to other resorts.
1: So there is a trend at looking at early or late and working around that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm, that's and interesting. And we were saying
2: to ourselves, you know, okay, this normally, because, you know, normally come mid to late August, there's a giveaway on holidays. So we've been doing an analysis on what was happening. And if you were trying to get away this weekend, there's just nothing there. Mm. It's chock-a-block because... As you said, the weather has been so miserable. People are just trying to get the last ditch to get the kids away before they go back to school because in two weeks they're back.
1: Yeah, that's Um, it. And
2: this weekend the prices have been crazy whereas if you leave it from after the 27th of August there's a bit of value to be got. You could go off for a nice jaunt for a week for under €600 to decent accommodation with flights and transfers.
1: So there's plenty, uh, not plenty, but there is availability beyond. There's
2: availability. And then come September, I can see this September being one of the most busiest Septembers looks like we've ever had bookings for. You know, mm. quieter in August compared to tradition, but September really, really booming. And a lot of people, you know, particularly couples or sort of people who are retired, love to get away once the resort become that bit quieter.
1: Mm. The uh, situation in Portugal is making the news at the minute But again as you say that is an area in Portugal There are people in Portugal you mentioned you were there the weekend as well That wouldn't even know
2: Absolutely oblivious to what's going mm. on And like everything else if you're particularly around forest areas uh, In high temperatures And um, whether it's you know a natural cause of fire And sometimes it may not be a natural
1: cause of fire Yes, and uh, that is something that we hate to hear where something has been started yeah. on purpose. Now, while you're with yeah. me, that's thank you for clarifying that, that there are a lot of people, and of course, you as a travel agent and your colleagues in travel agencies right across Ireland are in touch with people and always on the ball and keeping in contact to make sure everybody's you have okay. To reach
2: out, yeah, you yeah. have to reach out. People who go and book online... You know what I mean? The the computer's not going to ring them back and say, well, how are you? Mm. You know, whereas, you know, if we we see a situation in a resort, we pull all our files, we make contact with everyone, make sure they're safe. If they need to be repatriated or need accommodation to be moved, we're there to help them out. Yeah,
1: Which is is everything. Which uh, I say again, it can't be beaten. Uh, I've been... uh, at the receiving end of your kindness and your professionalism and we always appreciated it and we'll always feel that way about having you and your colleagues around the country on the end of the line. Now when you're with me here today I have to ask you this situation with the night flights at Dublin Airport you're well aware of this as well Michael O'Leary has been speaking about it lots of others uh, they've gone to court at the DAA they have a stay on the planning the flights can continue at the moment what do you make of this what will the impact be Sandra if it's, if it's okay. applied? It will
2: happen a major impact on on flights you know the second runway was opened they were given a a set number of flights that they could take in after between five and eleven o'clock at night then they looked for stay of execution from seven until one in the morning um so that will have a big impact flights will have to get cancelled or flights will have to be diverted either to shannon or cork
1: so it really will if, if if the letter of the law is applied, and they are going to appeal it. I I don't understand what they um you know there's a, there's a difference of opinion on the the granting of planning, and that'll be uh, decided in the courts, of course. But God Almighty, surely when a runway opens, I know there has to be certain rules and regulations. But it was opened with the uh, intention of facilitating more traffic in and out of Dublin.
2: Facilitate, yeah, and then. I think Fingal Council are saying, well, how do we actually calculate the amount of flights that's getting in there? It's like giving you time and permission for a three-bedroom house and you build a nine-bedroom mansion. Mm. You know, you yes. just don't know yeah. uh, what they're doing. But look, um, there'll be a lot of jobs affected by it. It's opening up the skies. People want good value for money when they're travelling. Um, and the more flights and options that are there, uh, particularly with more airlines coming in, yeah. Can you hear me, Terry?
1: Yes, I have you there, Sandra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: You know, like EasyJet are going to start coming into Dublin as well, which is going to be another carrier coming in from um, late winter, early spring. We're just waiting on their dates to come in, which is going to bring more aircraft into the skies.
1: Mm, so the, the uh, second runway there, very, very important. Do many, that's maybe a stupid question from my point of view, late at night and early morning, is that a, a particularly uh, busy time for people going and coming?
2: Yeah, well, for example, uh, flights come out to the Middle East. Um, Some of them go out in the evening time at half ten at night. Uh, Flights coming back in from the likes of Turkey, Middle East again, coming back in the middle of the night. Flights coming back in from Qatar, the middle of the night. Some of the Greek flights at the moment coming in. And also, believe it or not, the flights coming in from the Canaries. Some of them are arriving back in at 12, one o'clock in the morning. So, Mm. yes, there's, there's certainly traffic
1: there. Um, air traffic controller, should I even say that to you uh, in France, especially? Uh, what's the oh, situation I there? Them, yeah. I know, I know, I know. Between the
2: French and the Germans causing mayhem in Europe, and it just has such a knock on effect mm. throughout Europe, you know? Yes. Um, particularly within Germany, mm. the amount of flights that got cancelled in the last couple of weeks. Yes. So thankfully, we've been able to, and it's mainly uh, the cities that's been affected. So, sort of business travel, you know historically during uh, July and August will be much quieter anyhow because companies seem to quieten down. They kind of spend 10 months of the year on business travel. So July and August is normally quieter and then it kicks off again.
1: Hmm. John's been on there while you're with us. Since Sandra's with you, Gerry, would you ask, are flights to Canada? Is there a regular service from Dublin? We're looking going uh, early next year to visit.
2: Yeah, there's four carriers going in at the moment. You have Aer Lingus, uh, Air Canada, Transat, and, um, oh my God, the last, Wizz Air, yeah. So there's, like, there's a huge service to Canada, uh, both direct to Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver.
1: So there you are John, plenty there, just uh, check out, you have four options there as well and uh, Sandra and the crew available to help you in globe travel. What about, um, you mentioned there, that the offer there for a week uh, away uh, come uh, September time, it, where where would you recommend, where's September, nice to go to South of Spain, the usual places, Italy where?
2: South of Spain, Portugal, uh, your favourite Italy, is fabulous that time of the year, the Greek islands are cooling down so they're absolutely beautiful. Um, lots of services to the islands there. You've got flights into Rhodes, Corfu, Santorini. So they're all beautiful this time of the year. Uh, Croatia, Dubrovnik, Split, all of those areas. Mm. Amazing. Uh, Also now as well, flights into um, lots of new services, like people doing city breaks into Venice. I had a weekend myself there in Porto recently. And certainly stick it on your bucket list and September it would be a beautiful time of the year to see it to take a trip down the Dolo Valley when there, the wine is starting to harvest would be just amazing
1: Now you're now you're talking Sandra Finnegan Anyway i let you go there you're busy at the moment thank you so much for your time Thanks, as usual Harry. Thank you for joining oh. me Sandra take, take care Bye bye Sun Songs please 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text Let's be having them We're kicking off our Sun Thursday on Late Lunch with the B I just love this one.
3: Here comes the
4: sun. Here comes the sun. I say
3: it's alright.
1: Louise, you didn't happen to buy a telly bingo book recently, or did you ever? Did you ever play telly bingo? Never. No, neither did no I. Mum well, did, but I've never. I remember it back on RTE uh, with some guy who used to do the telly bingo and was a big thing, it was on in the afternoons, but hasn't entered my mind in recent times. But will I tell you a little story, I was in Londis on Crusher Avenue in Drogheda this morning, getting a fresh bread. There wasn't a stick of bread in the house. And the guy there was telling me that they have a telly bingo winner who hasn't come forward, right? No. Oh, OK. The bingo book winner, it's worth (sighs) €60,000. And he said to me, they have regular players, you know what I mean, that play the telly bingo. They've checked. Nobody, they've got to come forward now. So if you bought a telly bingo book in Londis, Crushford Avenue in Drogheda, do check it, please, because somebody out there has won €60,000 on the telly bingo. Oh isn't it great What but a searching. win What a win
2: <laughs> Imagine if you threw it out by accident
1: Oh no please That'd don't, be my biggest fear. No don't say that They're looking for you Call into Londis And Crusher Avenue Bring your boot Claim your prize 60 grand Isn't that some Talk about the we- Forget about the weather 60 yeah, grand and fly tell you off, Bingo enjoy You'll sun be anywhere. just flying What's your favourite sun song
2: uh, I'd have to say uh, The Kinks I like The Kinks Sunny afternoon.
1: Sunny afternoon mm. by the Kinks. I love Sunburst. <laughs> by yeah. <the> picture House. <laughs> but another woman I worked with on this yes, show. Yes, we'll, we'll be killed if we played it. Called Miss Deirdre Hurley. Wouldn't let me play the song. She, <laughs> She'd be she, trolled. She couldn't take it at all. She said, you're not getting that song. We're not playing that song. And when <laughs> said, you're not getting that song. You're a bit like one other. Well, these ones the same. You're not. No, no, no. We're not playing that one. No, no, no way. Anyway, sun songs have flying into us. Katrina and the Waves. Ain't surprised. That's, no, it's a great song too. It's a great song. Mm. We just might have that one along the way for you. What about that one? Never thought of that one. Hi, Jerry. Staring at the Sun by You Too, says another listener. I don't know. That's if a I good know that song. One. That really is a good song. We're going to have to look that one up for you mm. as well. Um, t- t- tequila Sunrise, uh, says Joanne this afternoon. There's loads of them there. But you know what I'm surprised by? You are my sunshine.
2: Mm. That loads song. of them in, nice, isn't there? That's
1: any amount of people mm. asking for You Are My Sunshine. And. You know what? Our Louise has gone searching. There are many versions of this song. There are Louise, aren't there? There really are. Loads of them. But we want you to listen today to a young lady called Jasmine Thompson and her version of You Are My Sunshine. For all of you who've mentioned it to us today, keep the sun songs coming. 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text.
4: You are my sunshine.
1: Thank you so much for all your sun and sunshine songs to us on late lunch this afternoon. You are great people. You really are. Seasons in the sun, says Pauline in a dock. I remember that one. Terry, Jack and recorded more recently by Westlife. Don't let the sun go down on me, says Michelle Roddy. Yes, Mr Elton John. Sunburst is there again from Helen and uh, Katrina and the Waves. A number of people looking for that one. I think it's in the pipeline for a little later on. Now... Have a listen to this. What is this? Have a listen, folks. What is it? Yes, a sound that was common in Ireland many years ago, now confined to just a few places in the west of Ireland that is indeed the corn crake. but good news today the numbers are on the rise and joining me is our good friend from birdwatch ireland he's at the horse show mr niall hatch hi niall hello
3: how are you hope you can hear me there okay bit of a I- noise here at the horse show but all good
1: yeah listen uh, you have a great stand there and call and say hello to niall uh, i was there myself last year at the horse show if you're up that direction niall this is good news be it not big numbers still
3: Oh, well, yes, it's very good news. It, it, it's great to, to, to see the species heading in the right direction. So I think that when it comes to conservation and nature, there's almost always so much doom and gloom. So it's nice to have a, 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 at least a some way positive story and, and, and hats off to everybody in the National Parks and Wildlife Service, the Corn Crake Life Project, the EU other project that have been making this possible. Corn Crake still has a, a long way to go, but it's great to see this upward trend up 35%, which is really encouraging. It's delighted to hear that.
1: Now, Niall, you might remind listeners of uh, the uh, way a corn crake Lives its life. It, it, it's another migratory bird that comes to Ireland. Where does it fly from?
3: So, um, it, 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 what it does is the, the winter in sub-Saharan Africa, and the Irish population seems to spend our northern winter in places like Angola. Congo, that kind of region, some probably into Namibia. It's very hard to track corn crakes outside of the breeding season because they're so secretive. It's very hard to see them. But they have been doing some of that geolocator work, putting tags on these birds to try and work out where they're, where they're heading to and where they're spending time. We've to pinpoint some of their, their, their wintering locations. Uh, but it's actually very hard to see them on migration because they tend to fly very, very high. And then when they land um, at their wintering ground or indeed their breeding grounds here in Ireland, they, they just hide they're straight to cover. When they return to us here in Ireland each summer, what they do is They find rank vegetation, often patches of of hay meadows, irises, nettles, some really rank vegetation. They hide in there, and then the the males make that song, that that, that, that sound that you played there starts the segment, very distinctive mechanical song. Uh, And that's the main way that you know they're present in an area, because actually getting to glimpse them or see them is really, really hard. So it's mainly the sound you pick them up by.
1: Now, they're in the west of Ireland, I mentioned there at the start, predominantly in Donegal, Mayo, Galway. Were, there was word there were some moving into Sligo, and they've been found on one of the islands for the first time, what, in 25 years in this particular survey. Will it be a case, Niall, that it's only those type of, may I say, gale-talked areas that they're going to be in?
3: It's it seems- in. For the, at the time being, yes. I mean, the, the, what it has, what, really I suppose what's what paid to the, the corncrake in so much of Ireland, it's changes in agriculture. It's been in the intensification of farming. The switch away from old-style, old-fashioned, marginal sort of mixed farming, hay meadows, that kind of thing. But that still persists in some of the, the, the parts of the west of Ireland, particularly in Gael, Tuck, the areas where, where, where that's the most suitable sort of farming for that land. Uh, and so there the, the corncrakes and the people can live in harmony still side by side. The decline of the, the corncrake is, is, was amazingly rapid in Ireland. It's a very sad story. If you go back to uh, if you go back to uh, the, the 1950s, there was a survey done then across Ireland, counting the, the calling males, so you work out the number of pairs by counting the number of males, and that um, found that there were about 50,000 pairs of corncrake across Ireland in the 1950s. Now today, that figure, um, it, it's, up, it's up only so to, from its previous lows. It, it's up to, I think it's 218 calling males have been reported. That's up 35 percent on last year which is very good but you can see still how far below that is the 50,000 that they used to be so it's a species that's been pushed probably permanently out of much of its former habitat in Ireland
1: And Niall, does it operate the corncrake in a way like the cuckoo, that the male departs first and the female stays behind to rear the young and then makes her way back?
3: So the the male will stay around as far as we know uh, longer than the cuckoo would. With the cuckoo um, he, he mates as many females as possible has no interest in looking after them and uh, after the chicks, and then the female lays her eggs in the nests of other birds, and then she can fly back to Africa then and leave the, the unwitting foster parents to rear the chicks. With the corn cakes, it's, a, it's a bit different. So the female um, she she lays the eggs, she cares, she incubates them, she cares for the, the chicks herself, and the male keeps up the territorial defence. He keeps singing, making that, that sound. And <laughs> to ours doesn't sound much like a song, but to, to a to a corn crack, that's that's definitely a song, music to their ears. And uh, he does that to defend the territory from rival male breaks and, and to keep that, uh, keep that patch. And they, they will have two broods in the summer. So um, it's not just the fact that he, he mates with the female ones and that's job done. Uh, they'll mate again and raise a second brood if conditions allow. And that's one of the, the, the real key things for helping the species to increase in Ireland. It's important that they manage to get two broods away because the mortality rate of the chicks is so high. If you think about it, they're flying all the way to, to, to southern Africa and back hit crash of climate change, hunting in Mediterranean, all of this, it does hit them hard. So uh, we need to get as many chicks away as possible uh, to ensure that there are at least some adults that will survive to, to breed in future years. It's a very short-lived bird. They only live for about two years. So um, you have to make, make sure they maximise their success during their short lives.
1: It's really good to hear that the mum and dad look after them and stay around and then only head off when uh, the second uh, brood are o- on their way. Um, on the other side, just to ask you about that, uh, you mentioned the Congo there, Angola. Are they as much under threat on that side with their habitat?
3: very, very hard to tell because there's a lot we still have to learn about Corn Creek. It seems that the main problems that they are facing are on the migration, particularly when they're crossing the Sahara Desert, um, which with climate change is getting wider and wider each year. Uh, and also then with the lack of access to suitable habitat and uh, food here in Ireland and, and elsewhere in Western Europe. It remains quite a common bird in parts of um, you know, parts of Russia and some parts of Eastern Europe, but um, uh, but, but we know that it, it reacts very poorly to rapid changes in, in land use as farming becomes more modernised. This bird disappears, and um, so the main problems they're having, as far as we can tell, are actually here in Ireland and around the breeding grounds. But the problems they reach on migration that uh, they face on migration are hitting them too. And there's a lot we still have to learn about what happens to them in places like Angola and uh, and Congo. It's very hard to send uh, to send researchers there to track them, yeah. uh, and there's local NGOs working there doing great work, but some some, some 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 of those parts of the world have been afflicted by terrible wars in recent years and other sorts of strife. So it is actually very difficult to keep track of the corncrake outside the breeding season.
1: So all we can do is play our part here and increase the uh, uh, environment for them here, look after the agricultural side that is conducive. And farmers, I have to say, farmers have bought into this and doing great work and participating in it. That's all we can do on our side.
3: Oh, absolutely. And hats off to the farmers who are doing sterling work in supporting this project. Um, we in Northern Ireland too. We work with, with quite a few farmers when it comes to our own con- corn grape conservation efforts, and we have an active project for them in uh, Mayo. Actually, we have two reserves on the, uh, the Mullagh Peninsula in Mayo where, where we have breeding corngrass, and it's been really good to see them uh, to see them thriving there. Uh, and also, we, the, the, the more this kind of work that happens, the more that uh, the National Parks and Wildlife Service and, and organisations like Birdwatch Ireland work out exactly what it takes to save corn crakes, what, what needs to be done. So we're perfecting it all the time. So it's, uh, hopefully the techniques will get better and better, and, and the birds will have an even better chance.
1: Good news on the corn Creek front. Away you go, Nile. There, do your work at the uh, horse show over the next few days. Good luck to you with everything there, and do give Nile a shout at the Birdwatch stand if you're attending the show in the RDS. Thank you, Nile. Thanks very much. Thanks. Not at all. Take care. That's Niall Hatch there from Birdwatch Ireland. Good news on the corncrake front. Good news on the sun front today, but beyond, well, what can you do? But let's enjoy it with another of your requests for sun songs on late lunch this afternoon. It's the kinks, and it is where I hope it is, wherever you are, a sunny afternoon.
4: The taxman's taken all my dough and left me in my state.
1: Sunny afternoon Just reminding you, we've teamed up with Fall to Ireland to help you experience the best vacation ever. My, myself, I've been out and about on a brilliant vacation to AWOL Outdoor Adventure and Rally School Ireland in Scotstown, Monaghan. What a fantastic time I had. And they're right on our doorsteps, folks. Check them out if you'd like that holiday experience all in one day. I have a €150 Euro one for all voucher thanks to Fauci Ireland to give away to one of you. All you have to do is tell me Tell me about a great day out you had somewhere so we can recommend it to the listeners and they can check it out too. Have you been somewhere for a day, for a vacation that's been absolutely brilliant? Let me know and I'll pop your name in the hat for that one fifty one for all voucher. Thanks to Fulcher Ireland. We're doing the draw tomorrow, Friday on the show. 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text. Let me know now somewhere you've been that you loved, that you really enjoyed. And I'll put you in the hat for that €150 Euro voucher. Wouldn't it be just nice on a Friday afternoon to win that? Yes, it would indeed. And for any amount of exciting and adventurous vacations, check out discoverireland.ie and look for the hashtag best daycation ever. Come on, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Let me know your favourite day away. Daycation, I want to hear from you. Now, Mead County Council, we've been talking about them the last few days in the context of the flooding in turn, but they're involved in a wonderful initiative with Next Bike by Tier. Yes, there's bikes available all round Navin now, and to tell me more, I'm joined by Padder Golden, who's the Ireland Country Manager for Tier App. Hello, Padder. Hey, how are you keeping? I'm keeping really well. Well, on the streets of Navin, I just see you have 25 push bikes, 25 e-bikes, and there's e-cargo bikes on the way. What's the take-up been like, Padder?
5: Yeah, it's been fantastic now. So like you said, about a week ago, we launched 25 push bikes and 25 electric bikes. And we're seeing the bikes been used nearly once a day. And even on the bank holiday, I think each bike was used nearly three times. So uh, there's been fantastic uptake. Um, and as we, I suppose, continue with be partnerships within the area and continue to develop that parking infrastructure, we're hopefully going to see that continue to grow.
1: And the people using them, did they know what to do. I want to get to this, you know, how to, you know, uh, get the bike, uh, take it out with them and where to leave it when they're finished. Is that working smoothly for you?
5: Yeah, so far and I think uh, what we can maybe do today is go through the the rules in terms of the parking because I I know that has come up in some of the Navin community forums on what exactly they are. So, once a customer downloads the Next Bike by Tier app, um, they'll, they'll log in with or they'll provide their customer details and they'll register a credit card. Now what happens is once they've registered on the on the app, they then go to the vehicle or a the bike, they'll scan the QR code and that will unlock the bike for them. Now as they have started their trip in, in the app itself it'll actually show where a customer can park a vehicle. So so in Navin Town centre all vehicles must be parked oh apologies. All vehicles must be parked at mandatory parking stations. So The council have done a great job in increasing the number of Sheffield stands right across the town centre. So there is where it is mandatory parking. But as you move outside the town, um, where I suppose there currently isn't as much parking infrastructure, customers can leave the the bikes for a fee in given zones. So we've highlighted in the app there's something called a purple flex zone, where if a customer leaves the bike there and it's not obstructing be at a footpath, they'll be charged just one euro. Uh, And then you have blue zones, which are free to uh, park a bike at. Now, if a bike is incorrectly parked or parked outside of these areas, customers will actually have a fine uh, of €20 and could subsequently be removed from the service if that continues. I hope that clears that up.
1: Yeah, thank you for mentioning that because we saw that all right, that people were asking what uh, way does this whole thing work? But that's important. You must leave them in the zones. You can't, Pather, just abandon them anywhere because you're going to be debited if you do.
5: Correct. And what, what also you must know is that every bike is GPS tracked. So we know where the bike is at any given point in time and who the associated customer is as well. So that's how we'll manage the scheme. And if the vehicle is reported as being misparked be it uh, by the position or GPS coordinates of the vehicle or through a pedestrian, Um, then that comes through to our team who will be on the ground to then what we call rebalance the bike. So they'll bring the bike to a given station or correct zone.
1: And, you know, you have to consider others who are coming after you, Padler, to use the service as well. It's manners. It's just common courtesy to leave the bikes in the zones designated. If you're leaving them outside, you're going to be hitting your pocket. You're messing it up for others and you're just causing a nuisance for the likes of yourselves and the council who have to attend to these. Isn't that fair comment?
5: And that is fair. And and unfortunately, you do see it occur in, in certain areas. And, Look, what we have done in, in uh, I suppose, other services that we do operate, we'd have to remove vehicles from that given area if it does continue to happen. But uh, that's an extreme, uh, I suppose, case.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
5: Whereas here, it's more about this educational piece on where vehicles can be parked, uh, and then we manage it uh, as we go on.
1: It's great to hear you've had a wonderful update because you've only launched and we've had the bank holiday and that's good feedback to hear so many people using the bikes. It's a wonderful service. I absolutely love it and it's great that it's uh, come to Navin now. Tell, uh, tell me about the e-cargo bike. What's the idea behind these when they come on stream?
5: Yeah, so uh, we're still confirming the locations for the vehicles, but the, the idea here is we're going to uh, deploy a number of e-cargo bikes around the town that will enable residents uh, to, you know, to go to the local shops, pick up their groceries or do shopping and then come back towards the residential area to uh, leave the bike. So the idea here, again, is you know, targeting those trips that are under the sort of three, four kilometre um, distance, uh, enabling people to, I suppose, not rely on their private car, take the cargo bike into town and back out uh, to do those t- type of trips.
1: It's uh, wonderful and it's great. I say it again that it's in Navin now and available to everybody. So, folks, what you've got to do is download the app Next Bike by Tier app. That's Next Bike by T-I-E-R, the app there, and away you go. You work with the app then, your credit card details, and you can be biking it around Navin and beyond uh, sooner rather than later. Pather, thanks for joining us to Clarify All, and I wish you good luck with it in the future.
5: Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for joining me on the show there. Pather Golden there, Ireland Country Manager of t The new bike scheme in Navin. It's there for the long term. Let's continue on the theme of sunshine songs. Many of you looking for this one. Ain't surprised. It's a big Eurovision one, isn't it? Katrina and the waves walking on sunshine on your late lunch this Thursday afternoon. Here we go. Train of the Waves! Walking on Sunshine must be one of the best Sunshine songs ever. It really, really is. For all you who requested it this afternoon, and there's loads coming to us. Our Danny's been on. The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore by the Walker Brothers. Danny, I remember it well. It always shines when we meet our Danny. It really does. Magella Ain't No Sunshine. I think you're in luck today, Magella. Sunrise by Nora Jones, says Kate. Sunshine on my shoulders. John Denver from Holly. I love that song myself too, and. Stevie Wonder, you are the sunshine of my life, mentioned in another dispatch there. If you love soccer, if you love association football, stay with us on Late Lunch. James Quinn is joining me next. He's a brilliant book out called No Foreign Game. When I received a copy of James Quinn's brilliant new book and I looked at the the, uh, title, No Foreign Game, and the subtext on the cover is Association Football and the Making of Irish Identities, I remember growing up as a young fella in a traditional GAA family. Mind you, my dad was a big Manchester United fan. And of course, you know, I'm a gunner from a distance too. But when I became involved and started to follow Drogheda United in the League of Ireland, family members, not my dad and my man, but other family members would say, oh, that old foreign game. And when I saw the title, it brought me back. James is on the line to chat to me. Thanks for joining me on Late Lunch, James. Yes,
3: it's good. it's good to be here.
1: You heard what I said there, that put-down that I remember as a child. Oh, You're not going to watch or play that old foreign game.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it been a, a traditional insult, really, um, for soccer supporters going back a long, long time. I mean, all, almost since the foundation of of the GAA in the mid-1880s. Mm. When, because Ireland is fairly unique in in having... Actually, so many different types of football, you know, in most parts of Europe, really, soccer is the only form of the game. In some, it's soccer and rugby. But here we actually have three main forms of of the game and one which was founded by an organization that basically set out to promote um, Irish culture as best it could. So it creates a much more complex situation in Ireland than elsewhere.
1: So there you are. That's the reason we are more complex. I often felt that about the Irish anyway than any other nation in the world. But here, James, you can clarify, in my book, football is soccer.
3: Yeah, well, look, that's, that's I mentioned. That it, it's very contested, really. And in the book, I use, um, I use your terms association football. I use football. I use soccer, depending on, on the context. Mm. I mean, the, the problem with association football is it's a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. So, um, hence that it, it was originally abbreviated to soccer for association, so soccer football, and then that just became soccer. So, I, I, I think just let's say, let's depend on the context. If there's a, a case that it can be confused with Gaelic football, I'll describe it as soccer. In other cases, I'll often just describe it as, as football.
4: Mm.
1: Now, it's. So intriguing to read in your book, you know, the formation of, let's call it soccer for the purpose of this interview uh, on the island of Ireland, when, of course, uh, this island was part of the United Kingdom and the real core of the game was in Belfast and it was administered from Belfast. It's fair to say that, you know, south of the border or south of the north always felt excluded, especially in those early years.
3: Yeah, very much so. I mean, the, the the as you say, the headquarters of the Irish Football Association was in Belfast, which was very unusual in terms of Irish sports. Um, the international team played their games in Belfast. Um, the international team was largely selected from Belfast and its environs. There it would occasionally, by the 1890s, early 1900s, the, occasionally would be a sort of token southerner put in there But it it was very much seen in the rest of the country um, as a team from the northeast. I mean, southern newspapers would either describe it as Ireland in inverted commas or sometimes just as Belfast Mm. rather than, you know, as, as a truly national team.
1: And then you had uh, the Leinster Football Association formed to really look after fo- uh, football in Leinster, the province, not so much the rest of, uh, of the country at that stage. So you had the Leinster Football Association that the IFA, the Irish Football Association, based in Belfast, who maintained they uh, administered the game in the whole island, were happy enough with. that. There was an uneasy peace there for years.
3: Yeah, that's true. I mean, they were happy enough to see the game, the game spreading, you know, because it gave them more opponents and so on, and uh, yeah, it improved the level of prestige of of administrators and so on. So they 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 got on okay. There were complaints, as I say, about the international team and so on. But um, what ha- what happened in many ways was that the game was being so micromanaged from Belfast that people in Leinster, you know, particularly people in Dublin, began to resent this and feel that they weren't getting a fair crack of the whip. And then when that's, compared, when that's thrown into the context of the political troubles of 1919 to 21, you know, ideas of, of partition and so on start coming to people's minds. And so certain people in in Leinster thought they, they would go their own way.
1: mm now, you had um, clubs from uh, Leinster, Bohemians and Shelburne in particular, partaking yeah. in competition uh, with the clubs up north. They didn't fare particularly well because the clubs up there were well ahead of them. But reading your book, when the split eventually happened, and it happened around the time of, you know, geographic, uh, the geographic split happening on this island and, of course, unionism and nationalism in conflict, the the IFA were a bit taken aback. They didn't see it coming and they tried to make amends.
3: Yeah, I, I think there was a, a complacency there um, that they'd, they'd gotten used to complaints from the South mm. and they they had weathered them for quite a while. So when the uh, Leinster Football Association broke off, and funnily enough, I mean, it, it's about a month before the actual partition of Ireland. So in some ways, they're... They're trailblazers in that way. Um, it was a bit of a shock to Belfast, and they did make some efforts to concede a little more, a little more power, and maybe even a little more respect to um, to the Leinster authority. You know, to to balance things up.
1: Mm-hmm. They went their own way and the FAI was formed. And uh, at the time of, of the split, I, I, I know as well, Shelburne and Bose, who were participating in the competition with the clubs on the north, and Dundalk he, here in our own area, they, yeah, they, yeah. they, they had their misgivings about this uh, new association in the Republic.
3: Yeah, certainly. I mean, with, with Bohemians and, and Shelburne, I mean they, they had both played in the Irish League. And so, if you like, their 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 best opponents were, were all based in you know what was it, the 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 six counties of Northern Ireland, and Dundalk as well, being close to to the border, was often cut off from a lot of its natural hinterland because Dundalk drew in a lot of support from South Down and South Armagh and so on, and again had rivalries with, with, with clubs. In, in Northern Ireland. So, so no, they were none too happy about, about partition. That's, that's, that's certainly true.
1: It happened anyway. The Irish League went its way. The League of Ireland, the IFA, the FAI, and, you know, you have a lot written about what happened subsequently in this book. And as the cover says, Irish identities came into play for sure. Wasn't it ironic, and I know I'm skipping on years later and on the international front, that it took an Englishman and uh, the granny rule uh, to create our most successful international side in the Republic that finally qualified for major tournaments?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think this, this is what's so fascinating uh, about football. Uh, it, it, it's the way it invokes and plays with all these concepts of identity. And as you say, um, it's the first time the Republic have an England manager. A lot of people aren't happy at that at the beginning, but, you know, no, nothing succeeds like success. But when And when the team starts doing well, he becomes a national hero who's granted honorary Irish citizenship. And, of course, it's not just about the, the manager, it's about the, the players he calls on. So I mean roughly during the Charlton years, I mean, half the team tended to be born outside the the Ireland of Ireland. And I mean it it also I think that's interesting in, in that it shows that, you know, nationality is not just geographical, it's also ethnic. It's not just about where you're 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 born, but it's also the community you're born into. And you know, Irish players like, you know, Tony Grealish or Kevin Kilban or Seamus McDonough were brought up in a very self-consciously Irish environment, and so we're actually much more proud to play for Ireland than they would have been for. For the land of their of their birth, you
1: know. Mm. And then going back to the leagues, of course, in Northern Ireland, the tensions, uh, you know, were always there. Belfast Celtic, Derry City, having to withdraw from the league, going out of football, and ultimately coming back in the league of Ireland with dispensation from UEFA as well. And those tensions in the in the international team simmering under the surface. It's not been plain sailing by any means for the IFA.
3: No, it hasn't. It hasn't. Uh, as I say, you know, if football is very contested ground. And, and in many ways, you can't divorce fo- football from the political context of the state that it happens in because a lot of, the, a, a lot of um, political and nationalistic views are channeled through football, as, we, as we've all seen. I mean, it, 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 the, the football stadium often provides a, a, a public platform for, uh, for these tensions to be expressed. And we've certainly seen that in this country.
1: Mm. And back in our own uh, territory here, the old League of Ireland, or the Chicken League, as Eamon Dunphy used to call it when he, when he wrote about it. You know, when you look at the League, and I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. And I sit here in County yeah. Loud, the two big League of Ireland clubs, Dundalk and Drogheda yeah. United. I follow Drogheda myself and have from, I was a nipper. But yet I despair at times when I look at the League and the facilities and how it really is so poor.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think that's a complaint of uh, football fans throughout the country. I mean, we're supposed to be a relatively wealthy country, but uh, our sporting facilities, and you might even say in particular our soccer facilities, mm. are, are abysmal, you know, with one or two honourable exceptions. And I think we've, there's a lot of catching up to do to try and bring the levels of interest in the game, even the quality of the game, to bring the facilities up to match those. I mean, that's, that's true of, I'll say, clubs like Dundalk and, and lots of other clubs throughout the country. Mm, yeah. And I, I, think, I think it's partly down to the fact that it was you know, a semi-pro game. And so a, an awful lot of the money that was in the game um, went to players' wages. You had clubs outbidding each other. And there was a level of short-termism in the game and a, a failure to, to plan ahead. And I think in many ways we're just, we're reaping the consequences of that these days with the the poor facilities that are, that are in the Irish game.
1: And as you write, many people uh, adore clubs across the water, Uh, you know, uh, ironically, and so many thousands go every week, and Celtic, of course, with their huge Irish support and that identity they hold on to within Glasgow and in a wider context. You write brilliantly, I say about that too. But coming back to the League of Ireland, do you think that the, 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 the corner has been turned? Has the penny dropped with this new initiative saying to government, local authorities and everybody, you've got to really help you know the clubs in the league of ireland with facilities and more besides do you think that's going to happen
3: well i hope it does i hope so um i think it's, it's the way forward to make the clubs much more community based and so and therefore involve local and central government as much as you can in the provision of facilities and I, you know i think with a strong community base that's perhaps stops clubs overreaching themselves as when they, they have uh, single owners. And I, I think there is a space because I think looking at football across the water now, I think there are a lot of uh, supporters who are a bit uneasy about the type of people who are taking over football clubs. You know, dubious oligarchs and agents of repressive states and so on. And I think if people w- would be a lot happier to support a much more community-based Organization at home, and um, that isn't being exploited by, let's be honest, some quite unpleasant people. You
1: know? Yeah, it's a it's a real worry, and when you see the millions and billions being thrown at the game, uh, you begin to wonder. But there, I, I say, as a fan, there is an appetite for it here, and with help and support, and you know, there there are external uh, investors that are good for the game here, not fly-by-nights are not anything like we're seeing in the UK with the massive amount of money that are going in but there is something here as you say that is well worth investing in but by God I say it here today that when you're with me please please government and local government please facilitate the moving forward of clubs with facilities it would make a huge huge difference James look I have to leave it there today I absolutely love your book. I haven't fully finished it yet. I'm I'm engrossed in it, and I highly recommend it to football fans listening to us today. It's called No Foreign Game: Association Football and the Making of Irish Identities by James Quinn. Get it, buy it, read it, enjoy it. Buy it for a football person in your life. I promise you, they love it. Well done, James. Thank you very
3: much, Jerry. I'm very pleased you enjoyed the book. Thank, thank you.
1: Thank you very much for joining me on the show. Congratulations on it. It's simply brilliant. James Quinn there on your late lunch this Thursday afternoon. Summertime, DJ Jazzy and the Fresh Prince. There's somebody there. That's my favourite song about the sun, Jerry. There's lots more there besides. We haven't forgotten you. There's more sun songs to come, I have to tell you. We've won for you in a moment's time with a local twist. Hi, Jerry. What a great day out we had last year at the Virginia show for the Bailey's Cow- Competition. Looking at the cows being prepped for the show, the animals, lovely stalls, coffee, lunch in Willows, lots to do and see. Great family day out on your doorstep. That comes in from Fiona Kelly in Navin this afternoon. A day trip from the dock to Belfast was brilliant, Jerry, says another listener, for the train journey alone. My day trip to Wexford was fantastic, says Mary, too. I'd highly recommend it. And Joanne, Ard Gillen Castle, right on our doorstep. Unmissable, Gerry. You're all in the hat for the draw for the €150 one-for-all voucher from Faultier, Ireland, telling us about your daycation. Sun songs coming up after three on the show. The artist known as Seamus Smith and more sun songs, my top five countdown. But let's have a listen to this one up to three. It's from Farah a local brilliant artist. It's Sunblock from Farah Mm.
6: Five, four, three,
1: two, one. Counting down, the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number two from this very week in 1992. And a very unusual collaboration, we have to say. But what a wonderful blend the two voices have. Yes, we're going back in time to a song that was brought to us by the wonderful, late, great Freddie Mercury and indeed his partner on this song, the operatic soprano Montserrat Caballé has passed on to both of them. But they've left this one to remember them both. Oh, what a brilliant song it is. Here it is, the number two from this week in 1992. Enjoy. (laughs) Enjoy. hairs are standing on the back of my neck, I have to say, listening to that one. Yes, Freddie Mercury and Montserrat Caballé, Barcelona. Do you know the story, Louise, behind that? 1986, Freddie was on Spanish television and he he had a great love of opera, uh, Freddie Mercury. And you'd know it in a lot of his work and the Queen songs that it it runs through it. Uh, You know, Bohemian Rhapsody, for example. Um, But he said on Spanish television, I would love to meet Montserrat Caballé. All right. He'd never met her, so they met then in 1987, and they became friends. And then Barcelona would host the 1992 Olympic Games, and they jointly recorded that song in conjunction with the games in Powerful Barcelona. Powerful song, oh Louise! It's great
2: song for the shower. It's is it? <laughs> <laughs> Will we
1: try a duet?
2: <laughs> Have we ever tried to reach her note, hoping that the glasses and all shake? <laughs>
1: Oh my, oh my. Well, I'm going to tell you something on a, a local <laughs> level. <laughs> I'd say you've smashed a few glasses in your time, but I don't think it was with your voice. <laughs> but on a local level, Louise. I take that as a compliment, I It is actually. A yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I only ever compliment you. Anyway. Uh, on a local level St Peter's Male Voice Choir who you know I'm uh, really uh, great friends with and just love them and their annual Christmas concerts are sensational but Sean Tester a member of the choir uh, duets with the wonderful Celine barn that song Oh wow Oh Louise <laughs> Louise talk about taking the house down Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, They are together, the pair of them. And I just want to mention Sean and Celine today in the context of that song. Our number two from 1992. And we'll uh, finish off with a big number one tomorrow on the show from that year. Seamus Smith is a great man, isn't he, Louise? He's He's, fantastic. He he is a top man. Mm, He really is. Great storyteller. And what an artist, Louise. And he's overcome wonderful adversity to continue painting. Well, he's joining us next because... One of his paintings will hang forever in a very prominent place. Seamus, on late lunch in a moment. If you have called to attend the new Cirrus rehab unit at Our Lady Our Lady's Hospital in Navin, you will see a painting hanging there called The Sun and the Moon. It's absolutely beautiful and it was painted by my next guest. Seamus Smith, welcome back to the show.
6: Uh, thank you very much,
1: Jerry. It's gorgeous, Seamus. I mean, it's gorgeous. Tell us uh, how come the picture is hanging in the Sirius Rehab unit now. How did that come about?
6: Well, well it was peculiar in the sense that uh, Dr. Um, Burke came to the exhibition and he saw it and he fell in love with it. Mm. And he recommended that they purchase the painting. And uh, he said there was a great story attached to it because... About 15 years ago, I got a stroke and I learned to paint with my left hand. So all the paintings I do now is with the left. But the peculiar thing, Jerry, about painting with the left hand, I, d- I just don't know whether I'm painting with the right or the left. <laughs> I get muddled up and um, even down to setting the table the wrong way. And uh, when I be helping my dear wife, Nina. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, he fell in love with the painting and he recommended them that they purchase it for the, the new uh, when you're at the hospital.
1: Mm and it's beautiful it really is it's just such an inspirational painting and of course uh, Dr Bill Burke saw it at your exhibition in 2021 and we spoke back then when you were having that exhibition tell us about the painting The Sun and the Moon where where did you see that where does it come from what's the inspiration for it
6: well well, the inspiration now I'm painting a long time a painting 50 years and sometimes you go out and you see things that you didn't see before. But you probably were used to them. Mm-hmm. And not red with you. So I was on the high part of uh, Garment Lock. It overlooks the Pine Valley. It's a beautiful scene. And the sun was setting in the west. Mm. And casting long shadows. And I was catching the outside of the clouds. And giving them a lovely glowing yellow colour. Yes, and on the other side, the moon was coming up, so I had a problem there with the bright sky of the sun shining on them and the dark sky of the moon. Do you see, mm. you can't paint bright colours when you're uh, uh, imposing a, uh, a bright colour and a dark colour. Yes, you see, it has to be that way. It's just like Jerry putting uh, Uh, a sheet of white paper on a sheet of white paper
4: Mm.
6: it's no good Uh, but if you put uh, black on white you'll see it better Right. so uh, I had these problems I wanted to leave people aware of the moon and aware of the sun and I had to capture this yellow brightness of the day and also of the moon
1: yes well, you did it absolutely brilliant. Harry's been on to us from Cullen to say, "Jerry, that man Seamus is a genius. Oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Harry, you've made that man Seamus day for sure today, but you are, you are just simply wonderful. And we've been talking about the sun and sunshine on the show today, yeah. and it's a lovely way to round it off, you and, and yeah. this particular image. So you held that image in your mind's eye and then went and painted it.
6: Well, I had to hold it in my mind because you couldn't take a photograph of it because you need a lens from here to Dublin to uh, to capture it all in. There was too too much of a divide between the sun and the moon. And it stayed in my head, and I thought about it and thought about it probably for six months.
3: Mm.
4: I
6: I did an awful lot of work in the mind, <laughs> yeah. And uh, eventually, I got a big can- canvas, uh, five foot by three and a half. And uh, I'm at the stage now. I I was always painting to, s- to sell paintings, but now I'm nearly eighty, and I can paint whatever I want. Yeah. I'm uh, you, you know we are financially secure with pensions and that, and I don't have to. Uh, you know, paint for for the public. Yes, I can paint for myself.
1: Ah, isn't that a isn't that a freedom? That's lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great.
6: It's great to have that freedom because there'll come come a, come a day in in your life and you say to yourself, uh, you might be influenced. I was very influenced by people when I was starting off, and uh, that was one of the ways I learned how to paint. and uh, you come to a stage then, you say, well, I'll do it for myself, and what about uh, all the other great artists? Well, what about them? Mm. You just want to do it for yourself, and you might create something better, which I, I did, yes. un- unknown to myself.
1: Mm, and And, you know, right-handed, left-handed... You're producing yeah. absolutely marvellous works today. And oh, thank you very much. You are, and, and love it still. And do, you, do you go at it most days, Seamus, or do you take a break? How do you work?
6: Now, well, I'll tell you what I do I uh, work about four days in the studio. Which you promised me you'd come out and see me. Oh,
1: with the Lord God, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. I knew that was coming. I was hoping I'd get away with it. I've been. Co- Seamus, Seamus, I'm making a public pledge on the airwaves yeah. today, and I'm that not you, going to crazy. let you down. Seamus, I right. promise you, as God right. may strike me dead, as they say. I am going to meet you in your studio and see your works. And then you can tell me all about, you know, how you work, because I'll tell you why. I want to finish with a lovely song about the sun today and dedicated to you and Nina as well for all the joy you bring through your painting and your work. Seamus, I'll be out to see you. you. I'll be there.
6: You'll ha- have to come because it'll be very hard to see you. I will, I promise and, you uh, that. no. well, uh, she has a special coffee.
1: <laughs> oh, great. Prepared. Well, listen. Go to
6: prepare her for
1: you. <laughs> I am going to do that now and I can't get out of it now. God bless you for joining us. Enjoy the sun and the moon if you're in the Cirrus Rehab in our ladies right. in Navin. We'll be talking soon. But today I want to finish off as Eddie Caffrey prepares for his stint here in LMFM. Go, go on LMFM. Stay with us with this one for you. Ain't no sunshine when you ain't around, Mr. Smith and Nina as well. Here we go. See you ain't soon. Ain't no
6: sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And she's always gone too long, Anytime she goes away